Welcome to the show. My name is Michael Lin, and this is the MongoDB Podcast. In this episode of the podcast, I speak with Prem Krishna, a product manager at MongoDB, about the company's online archive feature. This falls under the umbrella of our analytics suite. Online archive enables seamless data tiering, allowing developers to store cold data in cost-effective object storage while removing it from their main cluster, thereby boosting performance and reducing costs. Prem provides an overview of online archive, explains its benefits and use cases, and walks us through the simple steps to set it up. Stay tuned to learn how to optimize your MongoDB Atlas database and reduce costs. Hi, my name is Prem Krishna. I'm a product manager at MongoDB. Welcome to the MongoDB podcast. Well, Prem, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on the podcast. How are you today? I'm doing great, Mike. Thank you for having me here. So where are you in the world, Prem? I'm based out of Seattle, Washington. Okay. And you're a product manager at MongoDB. What's your focus area? My focus area is working on the analytics products and specifically on the online archive. It's interesting. So online archive falls into analytics. Can you tell me why that is the case? Yeah, absolutely. It's, it's a little bit of an extended area of analytics at MongoDB. We have what's called as the Atlas extended set of products. And online archive is a product that can enable seamless data tiering, where as developers, you want to store away your cold data at object storage, which is cost affordable. And at the same time, it releases all the performance issues from your cluster. So in a way, it's segregating your performance by moving away cold data from your cluster into object storage. Yeah, kind of taking away the data that doesn't need to be there for everyday querying. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay, this is an interesting concept. And I can't imagine a developer that isn't concerned with, well, number one, performance, but also cost efficiency. So what's the elevator pitch for online archive? Yeah, absolutely. So Online Archive is MongoDB's solution to a problem which is more around how to reduce costs and how to improve performance by combining the cost efficiency of object storage with a unified query interface of a sharded cluster. Great. So through sharding and through this concept of data tiering, we get to remove elements in our cluster that don't need to be there, thereby improving performance and reducing costs. So for the folks that are listening that are maybe new to MongoDB Atlas, uh, Atlas is our online database as a service, and online archive is available in the context of a cluster. So you launch your cluster, and there's a tab labeled Online Archive. Click on that and tell the folks how Online Archive works. Let's say we've got data in our cluster, our uh -huh. application is working, and we want to get some of those benefits that you talked about around performance and around cost efficiency. How do we go about beginning to enable Online Archiving? Yeah, absolutely. Online Archive can be accessed with a set of a few clicks, and it takes less than a few minutes to set up your online archive rule. And archives are easily accessible alongside your cluster data. And as far as setting up your archival goals, 
you can set up what's called as a date-based rule or a custom archival rule. With a date-based rule, you are saying that all of your data, which is older than a specific date, can or needs to get archived. And or you have a custom archival rule, which goes based on a condition that you set against your cluster data. And if the condition is satisfied, then any data gets moved from your cluster to cold storage. And you can set this rule by getting alongside your cluster tab and then clicking on the online archive tab. It takes about a few minutes to set. Yeah, it seems very intuitive. I just went through it before we began recording. And like you said, there's two tabs. One is date-based and one is custom. Let's talk about the date-based online archive option first. So in order to make this effective, in order to use this feature, your data, your documents must contain a date field. Is that correct? That is correct. And you hit a very important point, and that is some of the prerequisites of setting up an online archive. And that include indexing a date field, especially if you're setting a date-based rule. So tell me that again. I need to not only have a date field, but I need to create an index on that. That is correct. And this is because Atlas runs what's called as an index efficiency query to determine the efficiency of the archival process. If the number of documents scanned is 10 or more, and if there is no index, then what results is what's called as an index efficiency warning. The warning mm. indicates that there are no sufficient indexes for an efficient archival process. Ah, so I guess it sounds like kind of a catch. Okay, let's go back to the benefits and the desired end goal of implementing online archive is to improve efficiency. If we're creating a rule that doesn't have an efficient index, you're saying it's not going to work, right? Yeah, it's probably going to work. It's going to trigger some set of warning when it's not going to be as efficient as you would like it to be because it still needs some amount of compute from your Atlas cluster to move your data from hot storage, which is in the cluster, to cold storage, which is in object storage or the online archive. And for that process to be efficient, you'd want to have an index set up in the first place. Okay, that makes sense. Okay, so back to the date-based online archival. We've got our documents in there. Talk about maybe a common use case. Maybe it's a manufacturing use case and there's, an, there's a product collection. And in the product collection, we have date of last use or something like that. And let's say that we want to, as a part of this product catalog, we want to move really old products, maybe a year or more, uh -huh. off to cold storage. So uh -huh. we'd have a date field in our document that would be indexed. And how often does Online Archive evaluate that date field for shifting those documents off to cold storage? That's a great question. And this depends on the rules that you set or the schedules that the user sets for when to begin the archiving or when the archiving job needs to be executed. So let's assume that there is no schedule. It runs based on what's called as a default schedule. And in that case, Atlas evaluates whether a set of documents are qualifying for the archiving criteria every five minutes. Now, if there's no qualification, Atlas extends the job time interval from five minutes and it extends to 10 minutes and it keeps extending to the point of up to 12 hours. 
if there is no qualification criteria. But that does not happen when you set what's called as a schedule window. In the case of a schedule window, the user says that archival job needs to be run very specifically within one hour every single day, let's say at midnight. At that point in time, the archive does not check every time. It just keeps running all the time. And But still, it has to hit what's called as a qualification criteria, which means that a rule has to be satisfied for the data to be moved from hot storage to cold storage. If there are no documents, it simply goes into what's called as an idle state. And it just continues to wait for the next set of documents to match the criteria. What an intelligent way to implement this. So I want to go back to the default schedule, and it sounds like it's almost like a learning system where it starts with a fairly aggressive checking of five minutes Uh and then expands that window over time to make sure that it's not becoming overly obtrusive on the database and causing performance impacts, right? Absolutely. I think that's a very good way of putting it. And this is precisely the way we've designed it. Because we do not want to be overburdening the cluster by doing these checks or trying or attempting an archive archiving solution every five minutes. So we keep checking in specific time intervals and we expand it to the point of up to 12 hours to ensure that there's no sufficient load being put on the cluster unless it is absolutely necessary. And this is one of the reasons why... We even started the scheduling option, which is a fairly new feature within the online archive, which was released as part of MongoDB World 2022, where it lets very specific time intervals to be scheduled. You can schedule a job almost every day. You can schedule intervals of a week, month or so in in very specific time periods. Yeah. Like I said, I think that's so intelligent to implement it in that way. It's almost like a built-in cron. There are several features yes. within Atlas that enable you to do this type of thing where it's you've got your own kind of feature-based cron oh. setup where you can execute things on a regular basis. So that's great. I'm wondering where you get your inspiration for these types of things. How long have you been working on Online Archive specifically? Sure. I've been working with Online Archive ever since I joined MongoDB, which is like a year and a half. And I would say my inspiration is building great products. I've been wearing different hats along the way in my career. I started as a consultant. I I worked as an engineer. I also worked. I also worked as. Uh, I also worked as a system engineer as well. So for me, the best role is to be at the center at product management, which is really giving a vision to the product, and at the same time working with engineering and speaking the language and building great products for our end users. So Mm. that's my inspiration. Yeah. Yeah. So what's a day in the life of a product manager at MongoDB look like? That's a great question. So at MongoDB, the product management is very much collaborative. It's very much inclusive. In fact, I found this to be the most fun part at any of my Previous stints at product management is always for me to be working with different departments. But with MongoDB, it's it feels like one team. It always starts with working with engineering and ensuring that the deliverables are on track and we're doing we're prioritizing the right features that need to be released as part of these key milestones. Not just that I connect and interact with our customers almost on a daily basis and understanding what their problems are and how we are doing to alleviate some of their problems. And not just that, I work 
closely with marketing, with sales, with all of the field folks to ensure that we position our products pretty much in the right way and also hearing some great ideas to ensure that how we expand the analytics space and online archiving and other associated products to solve the customer problem. We are always working to ensure that the problem statement is being addressed in the most efficient way. I love that you're talking to customers on a regular basis. What better way to make a product that meets the needs of customers than to stay very close to them? So, uh, so that's a great thing. Let's get back to, we were talking about two different ways to create rule sets for, for moving documents off to cold storage, for data tiering. And uh -huh. we covered the date-based, where you're creating a rule based on a field in a document that's indexed that has a date. And we covered the, the scheduled versus the default. Uh -huh. Let's move to the custom. How does the custom rule set work? Absolutely. So... In summary, we spoke about a date-based archive, which is that any of the documents which are older than a specific date needs to get archived. And in that first use case, we spoke about how where any bunch of documents which are older, they do not get queried often, so it makes sense to move to cold data. Now, what if the qualifying condition is not based on a date? It can be based on a custom condition. It can be based on a different field. It can be based on something like a name field. It can be based on something which is non-different from a date. And it can involve a combination of two or more fields. In that case, we introduce what's called as a custom, custom archiving criteria where the user can provide a condition and if that condition gets satisfied, then the archiving job moves the qualified documents from the cluster to the archive. Okay, this seems logical. So now I have a non-date-based field, and that could be perhaps a flag. Maybe the application is smart enough to know to set a document attribute or a field that would indicate to the online archive that this document should now be moved off to cold storage. Is that a common use case? Yes, I think you mentioned something like a flag. I mm -hmm. think a flag is an indicator I've seen at many developers use saying that this is more like it's an archiving flag, which means that it's not going to be queried often. And it's just occupying a lot of space on your cluster. And by a lot of space, we mean in the order of magnitudes of terabytes. Now, we do not want... Firstly, there's no so much space on the cluster to store terabytes of data. And second is, even if there's space to store a few gigabytes or so, we do not want to be overburdening the cluster. And mm -hmm. yes, I think coming back to your point is, there can be some kind of a flag that is manually sent by the developers to indicate that it's an archival signal or some kind of a Boolean flag. It can be a name field, or it can be a combination of multiple fields stating that if it's in belonging to a certain department and another condition is met where, where a name or another checking condition is satisfied, only if all these three conditions are satisfied, then it means that it, it's a cold data and has to be moved. So mm -hmm. in these cases, a date field, which is usually based of just one date field, will not be helpful for these use cases. And that's where we introduce the custom archiving criteria. Okay, great option. So 
what does implementing online archive and data tiering cost? Is there an additional cost associated with enabling this feature? Yeah, that's a great question. From a cost perspective, you can go to mongodb.com slash pricing and see how we've broken down the online archives pricing model, which is more on consumption-based pricing. What this means is only when you are actively moving your data and you're actively querying it, that is when you are incurring certain costs and which obviously like very nominal because we are storing the data in object storage. And also anytime you pull the data back, it's going to be only for the data that gets processed and the data that is essentially accessed from cold storage your pricing is only relevant for the queries that you run against your archive. Okay. So this is designed to, for us to be able to fund the online archive because it is a separate set of resources, but it's also designed to be priced so that it's attractive to the user and it will actually enable you to reduce the total cost. Is that correct? That is absolutely correct because from a storage perspective, we almost go against an object storage cost. For example, if your storage regions would be something like US East in Americas, your data storage cost per gigabyte per day is 0.001 of a dollar. And that is the amount that you're paying for a gigabyte. So even if you have a lot of 100 gigs, you're storing very minimal costs to just store your data in the archives. Uh, we have additional components where if you are accessing your archive and for the data transfer course, the data transfer course are the standard AWS transfer rates. And the data pro process cost is only $5 per terabyte of data that is processed. Oh, wow. Well, that could be a significant cost decrease. It could, uh, can me do that again. <laughs> that could be a considerable cost efficiency increase. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes. Because yeah. especially when you're not crediting your data often, and that is what we call as cold storage. And it makes sense for the data to be there and the data to not be lost because without online archive, the only option is either increase the capacity of a cluster or just delete the data from the cluster directly. Instead of doing this and to store these large volumes of data in a cost-efficient way and the, giving the ability to access this also in a cost-efficient way is by storing the data in the online archive. Yeah. Okay. So now we've executed our rules. We've stored the configuration of the rules. We have both date-based and custom flag-based and our application continues to work. How is the data in the online archive, in those different data tiers, accessed? Is it a consistent single API? Sure. No, that's a great question. So now we are getting to the point of how to access data in the online archive. So there are, what we do is we provide three different connections to access data. One is a connection which goes against your cluster, which is the default connection that most developers use to, to access the data that's there in the cluster. This is exclusive of the data that's present in the cluster. And then we provide two more connections. The first of these connections is an exclusive online archive only connection, 
it is a read-only connection that will read any data that's present in the online archive from object storage, and it'll bring back the data depending on the query that's being run by the developers. And most interestingly, we have the federated endpoint, which connects both against your cluster and your online archive. So if there's a use case where the developers do not know whether data belongs to hot storage or cold storage, or they need to access both the hot and cold data, depending on a certain range values or some certain specific inputs, then this federated endpoint goes and searches against the data that's present in the cluster. And also it goes and finds the data in the archive and it brings back data from both of these places. And this is the federated endpoint string. Now, that's a really intelligent solution. That's a great way to implement that. So you have the ultimate choice as to whether or not you want to query only the non-archival storage, super fast probably, uh-huh. if you don't know. Now, what is the cost incurred if I use the I don't know string? Well, that's a great question again. It's if, you, if you're using the I don't know string, you're still going to get results back from your hot data storage, which is your cluster if you're using what's called as non-blocking queries. And Mm -hmm. by blocking queries, what I mean by that is if you're using a sort on all the data that's returned from both your hot storage and cold storage, the the data has to be returned from both places and only then we can do a sort. So what this means is that although the hot data returns back very fast, it still has to wait for the cold data to get back. So unless you're using these kind of blocking queries, you will still get your data returned back from your cluster while in the background it is also processing your data from cold storage. So it is very beneficial to the users who are, let's say, running some non-blocking queries and they can still see the data from the cluster while they will eventually get the data back from cold storage, which is the online archive. Okay, great. Okay, so wow, it seems like you've thought of everything. Now, with all of these great options in place, what's next for Online Archive? What's in the pipeline? Absolutely. From a pipeline perspective, we are improving the performance improvements, especially on the querying side of the archive. Now, keep in mind that we are querying against what's called as cold storage or object storage, which means that the cold storage querying is going to be obviously, and a bit slower than what's on the cluster. So what we're going to do with our next release is improve the backend storage service. And we are improving the storage service to ensure that the query times of how much data is going to be fetched in a very short period of time gets further improved. So the return of data back to the end user gets improved. And we are launching this online archive feature as what's called as online archive on data lake storage service. And this is the new backend storage service mechanism that's being used to fetch the data in a very fast way. And how we're doing this is in the backend, we are introducing some concepts called as we are using concepts. Sorry, I have to do it again. Uh, Yeah. Yeah. So how are we doing this? In the backend, we are using 
a concept of what's called as partition indexes. And partition indexes is an additional layer of metadata that sits on top of the object storage of the actual data that's present. And with the partition indexes, we know exactly where the data is present. So to draw a simple analogy, it's like going to a library and the books are properly organized alphabetically. So I know the name of my book or my author, and I know exactly the place where I want to go and I fetch my book versus going to a place where the books are all scattered and I just keep searching through each and every book. So what we're doing with the data lake storage service is basically adding what's called as partition indexes. So we have these rich metadata stats with a lot of inputs about where the data is present. And so this way, you're triggering a query to run against your archive, which can be a terabytes or hundreds of terabytes in data. We know exactly where your data is and we'll try to retrieve it in a very fast way. That sounds great. And ultimately, again, improving the cost efficiency and the performance. That sounds great. Prem, what else do people need to know about online archive and data tiering that we haven't discussed so far? Yeah, I'd like to explain this in a very simplistic way. I often, I work a lot outside of my job hours. To, I work with nonprofit organization with kids, with eight-year-old kids. So if I have to explain what online archive is mm -hmm. to an eight-year-old kid, I'll say something like this. Now, what if in your house you have lots of items, lots of furniture, lots of, but you have a very limited space Obviously, we don't have infinite space, but then it gets to a point where the furniture, too many items are literally blocking the room and you don't have space to get in there. So there are two options. One is either cut down on all of these items, either sell it, discard it, give it away. Or there's a second option is you might have the need to utilize any of these items in the future. You would take these items, which are unused, but there might be a use in the future and put them in your garage or cold storage. You might do that, right? So, and when you want to access it, you would still go, you have keys to your garage and then you just go open it and just access, bring it back as and when needed. Now, if I were to apply the same comparison, except for the fact of the items in my house, I translate it to data and data in your cluster. The solution for this to store unused information, but I still need infrequent access is by using the online archive. So that's often an example I give to kids. If kids ask me, what do I do with MongoDB? So I do something very similar. What do you do with your garage or cold storage? I do this with data and Atlas. Moving things out of your house into your garage, cold storage, literally cold storage in, yes. <laughs> in some locations. That's correct. <laughs> That's terrific. Well, Prem, I want to thank you for spending some time with me and explaining the concepts around online archive built into MongoDB Atlas and data tiering. Is there anything else you want to share with the audience before we... I think this has been a pleasure, Mike. I think we've had some great discussion and talking points with online archive. I would also like to highlight some other aspects of online archive, which is expanding data from the archive itself. That is like saying that, hey, I've moved all of my data to cold storage. 
and I use a date-based criteria. Let's say that anything older than 30 days qualifies as cold data because I'm not going to query it and I'm going to move to the archive. But I know for a fact that I'm not going to touch data after, let's say, seven years or five years because that data is totally unused. I will never query it. And then I need to delete from the archive itself. And mm -hmm. to address this use case, we introduced a concept called as data exploration from the archive, where based on an age limit of how much time the data is living inside the archive, if it exceeds beyond the limit that's set by the user, let's say 365 days, which means one year, it sits in the archive and it needs to get deleted. Data can also get expired from the archive itself, which means that you do not need data. Even in the archive, cold storage becomes, let's say, after point, after some time, null and void. It's not used. It just needs to be expired. So we provide that option. It also helps even save the cost from an online archive perspective. Online archive itself is very cost efficient and is designed this way. But even if, let's say you want to clean up the data in the archive, then you can expire data based on how much time it lives in the archive. And that's a new feature that we have also introduced in MongoDB World 2022. Wow, exciting. So it's almost like a time to live index built right into online archive. Correct. That's a great way of putting it, but that's applicable for the archive. So which means data lives for that period of time within the archive and then it just expires out of archive. So it's almost following the complete data lifecycle because data gets created. It, it is very active. It gets maintained for a while and it belongs to hot data. Then it's infrequently accessed. It's more like cold data. And so we tear off data to the online archive storage. And then to the point where it is no longer needed and it needs to be expired from the archive itself, then data can also be expired from the archive. It's as simple as going to the archive and setting a number against how much the data needs to live inside the archive. You can set any number of days, more than 30 days, and it can be several years down the line. It can live for seven years or so. It can still live there or you need not even set any limit. So that way... You're never expiring the data, which can be certain use cases where there's no there's no requirement to expire data. They have to there's a need to have the data present for a very long period of time and without any end limit. In that in those cases, there's no need to set any value for data expiration. But if there is a need to set a specific value for data expiration, again it takes just a few seconds to go and configure this data expiration limit in days. So it's a very simple process. Yeah, once again, a really intelligent way of implementing that. So Absolutely. I want to invite our listeners, if they want to learn more about MongoDB, Atlas, online archiving, and data tiering, we created a link. It's on our link system. It's mongodb.link. That's mongodb.link slash online-archive. And that's going to take you to the documentation page it's available there. Of course, to use Online Archive, you're going to need to have a MongoDB Atlas account. It's built in. This is a feature built into MongoDB Atlas. And yeah, hopefully you'll dive in and you'll make use of Online Archive and reduce your costs and increase your performance. Prem, thanks so much for spending time with us today. Thank you so much, Mike. It was a pleasure. 
Thanks once again to Prem for joining us, and thanks to you, the listeners. If you want to check out more information about Online Archive, check the show notes for links and resources. Have a great day.